Wild. Time for a start show. Trouble to feed audience. Good evening, lords and ladies. You have chosen your evening's entertainment quite wisely. You are about to experience the most wondrous spectacle in all of Western Scott Hallier. I am your host proprietor, Romande Zwarvinde, and I welcome you to the Twenty Sided Theatre. Dancing lights! When last we left my insufferable bastards, they had just traversed the astral plane to a non-place called the Citadel of the Rising Suns. The Citadel's enormous turrets connect impossibly large walls, and the whole complex, or so Thrimlock tells me, has something to do with the metaphorical risings of literal suns as seen from literal planets. Unfortunately, we did not have much time to muse on this odd plane between planes as we were harried and chased across the ether by the howling denizens of the hungering end. And just when we thought we were safe, we ran into none other than my sister and her company of minstrel assassins who call themselves the Band of the Red Hands. When all seemed lost, with both adventuring groups overwhelmed by the howling darkness, my sister's sitar player, Zolov the Mesmerist, pulled an amulet from his robes. It's too late, Rag. We are totally overrun, and the end has breached the walls. Zolov, you know what to do now. Of course, these abs, the red's hands. He's always has the second chance. Zolov reaches into his robes and pulls an amulet from the folds. At the center of the circular amulet stands an angled gnome, like the arm of a sundial. The enhanced vampire holds the amulet aloft, then hurls it to shatter upon the ground. Time slows down, crawling and creeping to a slow halt before everything. If you does, peoples will die. Trillzians. Whole worlds reduced to their basics, parsticles. The crime's not yet committed. Crimes have been witnessed by Darius Quaven. Lord, I see it. You have been sitting... Quick! Before they finish their speech, get through the gates and lock them behind us! Um, I guess with that, you're safe to rest for a little bit. The tower opens to a soaring expanse of gilded Rococo carvings, all depicting sunrises. A thousand, thousand landscapes awake to a new day in the reliefs and carvings that hang on the walls around them. Whoa, this place is pretty neat. 
I bet we'd make a ton of gold if we were able to charge people admission to this place. I don't think we have time to consider opening up a museum. And anyway, if that's what you really want to do, why don't we open a museum with all of that art we looted from the Potato Dragon? You guys killed the Great Bank Potato Dragon. Wow, that thing had been terrorizing the kingdom for ages. King Prouta even hired a young Slayer Spud to die hilar- um, to fight it valiantly. I'm just going to have to ignore the part where Tuxedo Beak, whose identity I can't discern thanks to the top hat and tiny domino mask he's wearing, knows way too much about the part of our adventures before we met him. Besides, we already sold all of that junk once we arrived in the Potato City. If you don't believe me, just ask Torea. She's a paladin, so she can't lie. That wasn't one of the vows that Spirit of the Swift Wind and I took, Lord Thrimlock. But we do strive to tell the truth a vast majority of the time. My Lord Thrimlock did indeed sell the aforementioned items of artistic value. But he did so with the aid of magic in order to fetch a higher price. Don't be such a tattle-pally, Torea. Nobody likes it. Not even Sonome. Isn't that right, Sonome? No, Martha. I mean, yes, Martha. Come, Father Maldreth. While our associates prattle on, we should inspect these carvings more closely. If I'm right, then each of these carvings coincides with a real place on a real plane. Excellent deduction, Master Shenuda. Then we should find out which of these planets are populated, and then evangelize them. Um, me stand up now? Me get tired of spread wings out for change table. And baby have new nappy yet? Sweet Tusker. Almost done, King of Changing Table. Regal not old enough for going clock training yet. And us adventure a long time, so need wash old diaper first. And watching her wash that thing was one of the worst experiences I've ever had to endure. And I grew up in the arena of all crap. <laughs> oh, it's that chameleon again. Where'd you come from? Um, I followed you guys out of the arena. I really hated that place. You never really get used to dying all the time or being hunted just so some psychopath and while away his days with professional-level sky-casting entertainment. Well, the next time you follow us around on an adventure, you'd better make yourself more useful. We really could have used another combatant against the band of the Red Hands. They were kind of jerks, but I forgive them since they're all so dreamy. And if you ever mention my sister's band in my presence again, I will make sure that you suffer the wrath of the inconsolable Romande Swarfinde. I'm way better than that stupid group of show-offs. Anyway, let's take a look around. Voice, I believe this is your department. That's uncharacteristic of you, Romande. What do you think you're planning? Oh, no plans, secret or otherwise. I've recently learned that there are far worse voices by whom we could be followed around. Fortunately for me, 
Those other voices proved to be far more murderable as well. Not that you ever fought Dromande. Hell, you didn't even realize half the times you ran into him. Gods, I hated that guy. I will not suffer another word against my esteemed deep elf cousin, who just happens to be my new business partner in interplanar scrycasting. Anyway, I was trying to find out how big this place is and whether there's anything that's likely to stab me. Well, you stand on what appears to be the middle of an infinite expanse of tiered floors. A central well runs through the whole tower. Each floor opens dangerously into the central well. No balustrades or hand railings? None at all. The Imperial Hazard and Safety Council would have a field day with this place, if this place had any employees. Anyway, you have three exits to this floor. You could go back outside where you left the Red Hands to fight the Hungering End. You could go up the stairs to the right, or you could go down the stairs to the left. Left! 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 Wait a minute, guys. This place is called the Tower of Dawn. Dawn is the illusion of the sun rising over the horizon. I say we look down that central well, and if there's anything dangerous down there, we kick the gnome into it first. Good idea, Thrym. Let's just take a little peek over this extremely dangerous ledge. Sigh. Fine. I'll do it. I want to get a good description for my notes anyway. I swear I've been taking good notes on this whole adventure, and I'm not making over half of it up from memory. Cease your endless prattle, Bard, and just make yourself useful. Father Maldreth and I have already discovered three new intelligent species that are, as yet, unblessed by the concepts of weapons and warfare. Indeed. We hope to begin sending our priests out to found missions with each of them as soon as we return to the Prime Material Plane. Far, far below me, a massive ball of flame climbed to the central well of the tower. Its rising waves of heat washed over me, just like the Sirocco's of the crystalline desert of Brest. And because you were looking down the whole time, you didn't see the eyeless dragoons waiting in ambush above you. The eyeless what now? Make a will save, Ramonde. These demon spawns still eat intelligence. Ha! With charisma like mine, how can you even tell whether I've lost intelligence? Ramonde, your favorite coat is on fire. When that demon hit you and you sprawled out, you stuck your arm into the well with the sun coming up through it. My what is on who now? Ah! Ah! Put it out! Put it out! Issa. You've been distracted by watching Romande try to remember all of those public service announcements based on the monster survival game. His memory is currently stuck playing a loop of what to do when Alps besiege your treehouse. So it'll be a while before he gets all the way up to what to do when dragons set you on fire. <laughs> oh, you silly, stupid bard. This is why the errors of the Pengonquin Expanse keeps you around. Um, Issa? You remember the part where I said you were distracted? Uh, no. I was laughing at Romande. Hell, even Spirit of the Swift Wind found that funny. <laughs> I'd forgotten how exasperating this party can be. A whole squadron of Imperial Dragoons has showed up, leaping down upon you from the upper levels. 
Two of them have already attacked Ramonde, and the other ten have arranged themselves into two groups of five. One group has surrounded Issa at her faithful tuxedo beak. Their bayoneted fire belters hang uselessly from the enormous twisted rings piercing their arms, legs, necks, and torsos. But that makes these dragoons no less dangerous. A grand total of zero eyes glitters in the 24 crusty sockets gazing in your direction. Tendrils of black, oily energies are welling up in the demon's empty cavities. Lisa, The two penguins go down in a heap, saving them from the five intersecting rays of unbridled, chaotic energies. The black rays of untempered power tear through the room, each colliding with one of the reliefs lining the walls. When you hear the damage, you see five holes ripped in reality. Through each hole, you can make out a planet hanging quietly in the void of space. <sighs> Thanks for saving my life, Taxi. You can get off of me now, but we should return to this position sometime later. Ew! I don't want to think about penguin eggs. Ever. But especially not right now. My colleague is correct. Instead of observing yet another disgusting mating ritual, let us take stock of the situation. We are under attack by a dozen Imperial soldiers who have succumbed to the service of entropy. <sighs> but those uniforms, those are unfamiliar. The cut is definitely Imperial, but the button arrangements are all wrong. Where did these dragoons come from? Perhaps some long-forgotten colony? I think I know where they came from. Indeed. These uniforms were worn by the soldiers we accompanied when we visited Brext. You guys have mentioned this Brext place a few times now. What in the ever-changing number of hells happened there? <laughs> I haven't heard all of this story yet either. I just know that Brecht was a city made in crystal, and these guys somehow burned it to the ground. Uh, that not us doing. Otherwise, Vrogel be king of burning crystal. But me never get chance. Us was chased out of city by wingy elf. Now is most certainly not the time for storytelling, especially stories involving that half-celestial ninny-hammer Drakelin Denarian. No. Now is the time for you to show Makar of the Gore-Footed Stallion what happens to anything that strays into our path. Maldrith is right, especially since the last five dragoons have taken their positions around the perimeter of the room. Three of them leveled their fire belters at Smid, Torea, and Bravo, while the other two close in on Frimlock and Thor. Torea, get between me and that demon! I'm trying, Lord Thrimlock. But spirit of the swift wind is still in convulsions of laughter at the bard's plight. The enemy strikes with the perfect timing that only comes from long hours of training as a group. Two bayonets find ah! just as three fire belchers peel out. The three marksmen find their targets easily, washing flames over the bear, the paladin, and the winged half -orc. The pixie and the blind sorcerer are impaled upon bayonets and then they're lifted from the ground and flung into the lines of the fire belters' attacks. Ugh. Thoroughly unacceptable. But on the positive side, it looks like I'll finally get my wish and be able to watch you gormless parishioners meet your inevitably ugly and messy demise. 
Well, if you're such a good pastor, then why aren't you hurting your flock away from the danger? Oh, Chameleon, you do not know me very well yet, do you? Not really, but I'm more worried about surviving this tower and its rising ball of superheated gases than getting any closer to you guys. Now shut up for a second while I blend in and get behind this dragoon. Steve quickly drops to the floor and shifts her skin color to match the yellow and gray mottled flagstones. She lizard crawls right up to the ankles of one of the demon-infused soldiers, and then pauses for a moment. By the great lizard, Sunning Rock! These guys stink! Oh well, guess they're gonna stink even worse once we stab them in the kidneys and leave them here to rot. Steve's blades drive deep into the lower back of the enemy, piercing both of its kidneys simultaneously. The demon spawn doesn't even flinch, and the whole room grows still for a pregnant moment, while the fiend slowly turns its gruesomely disfigured and eyeless face toward the chameleon. The denizen of the hungering end shows its teeth in a wicked smile, before firing two pellet rays of unbridled entropic energy from the gaping holes where its kidneys should be. Holy crap! That was close! Thank the gods for my roguish training in evasion! As the chaotic energies peter out, a cloud of matter swirls in the ray's former path. The dust cloud sucks inward through the kidney holes and wraps into a twisting ribbon. Within seconds, the demon's wounds seal around a newly formed Mobius ring that loops through its lower back. Well, the direct approach doesn't seem to work. Which way should we head? Anywhere but down. There's a goddamned sun down there, and it hates my coat. We need to clear a way to the ascending staircase. And I, Romande Zorfinde, Bard in extraordinaire can start that process with a greater shout! One of the demons flies across the river, having taken the brunt of Romande's enhanced sound waves. She lands, somehow keeping herself upright, and then she skids to a halt before the two fallen penguins. The demon's mighty feet seem to have melted the flagstones in an attempt to slow her trajectory. Pardon me, voice, but the feet's never quite as mighty as the beak. Isa springs upward from the floor, catching the demon in the armpit. Bits of floor shower down over Tuxedo Beak as Isa lifts the demon, shakes her head, and hurls the foe the rest of the way across the room. Come on, Tuxy, we've got a staircase to climb. Right behind you, fishball head. Wah, 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 wah. The tuxedoed penguin kicks his feet and begins spinning in circles on his back. During his revolutions, he tosses three of his rose-mouthed razorfish at the surrounding foes until he finally builds up enough momentum to coffee grinder his way back to his feet. Such style, such a voice, and he can dance, too. I should definitely keep this male around. You penguins should stop making googly eyes at each other and make a beeline for the stairs. Meanwhile, I'll only making a pixie line right behind this line of lightning. Thorn's bolt of electricity burns a path through the air and then through the bodies of the enemy. The pixie then makes as direct a path as it can to the stairs. Unfortunately, that path takes it right past a number of bayonets. My Oberon's favorite cat that was close. Thorn, you're not quite done yet. 
If you look in front of you instead of behind, you'll see something important. Something important? Like what? Crap! Dodge! I see now. Something important like the barrel of a fire belcher. Thanks for the warning, voice. No problem. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to give you a warning in time to avoid the ray that was just fired by Issa's target. The what? <laughs> At least you made your fortitude safe, Thorn. You could have been disintegrated. I... hate you. You don't cook Pixie! Only wife cook Pixie. And that only if Pixie die of natural cause. Like, fall into bowl of batter, then fall into deep fry oil. Or, if Pixie accidentally gut and stuff self, then crawl into 400 degree oven for 6 hours. You don't forget me favorite Pixie recipe, Brockle. You always king of forget. Like how you forget actually kill demon thing. Hiya! The Dread She-Orc unleashes a storm of fists, elbows, heels, knees, and feet. Most of her blows can't find purchase, but one strike does make it through the demon's combination of magic, agility, and heavy armor. When it does, her lawfully aligned fist flares and reacts with the demon's chaotic aura. A bolt of white-hot energy arcs to the nearest of the demon's body piercings, bursting the metal hoop with enough force to blow Ethamother off his feet. We got you, sweet tusk! Me hero! <sighs> um, how about me go become King of Stair, and then put wife on top of them so she not sweat so much? Me know there's sun rising in tower, but me think you also have glandular problem. That not sweat. That pheromone production. Make you want me more. That's absolutely disgusting. Even more disgusting than the entire gnome family reunion. And absolutely a lie. Give me a bluff check, you mother. Well, me guess that makes sense. Me always want you more when you show how strong, smart, and useful you am. Fine. Me go make you Queen of Stair. Five of the hungering Brexians move as a unit, positioning themselves around the two penguins, cutting the flightless bird people off from their allies. Two of the foes snap their bayonets at Tuxedo Beak, steering him between their fire launchers. Tuxi! A third and fourth aim their fire belchers at Issa. Oh. Issa drops to the floor, safely out of the fire. The entropic energies of the demon's guns cross the space where Issa's chest used to be, and the two enemies strike each other squarely in the head. Unfortunately, they do not seem to be affected by each other's attacks. The fifth demon turns his attentions outward, firing a ray of destruction at Smith. The only way to fight being fired at is to fire back, preferably with a brutal charge! Smith ducks under the incoming ray of destruction as he bounds across the room on all fours. He stops short and rears up before the enemy, and then unleashes a wicked flurry of claws and teeth. Thank you for your timely dodge, Brother Caltrops. The ray of energy struck another relief, with the result that Father Maldreth and I can take clearer readings of the realm beyond. Unfortunately, we won't have time to explore and dissect this new place, B. 
because my wrappings are beginning to smolder. Too bad there's a huge group of eyeless dudes with enormous metal piercings between you and the stairs. But those metal piercings are exactly what I want my foes to have in this situation, Penguin. For it will be far easier for me to hit them with chaining bolts of lightning. Which should distract them long enough for me to erect my cube of force that I might cross the room more easily. Come, Father Maldreth, we have business to attend to upstairs. Indeed, and these poorly inflated humanoid shells are in our way. Father Maldreth strode to the center of the grand foyer of the Rising Suns, raising up his mighty weapon, the Fang of Pain. He then cast the chain and its barbed weight at a nearby foe. While the chain was still tracing its path through the air, Maldreth spoke the command word, Kogaidwa, and the projectile split into three, each trailing a chain back to the fist of its master. The center and right barbs struck their targets, piercing what flesh they could. The chains then coiled through and around the bodies of the two demons on the right. The leftmost foe elected to dodge them, as the leftmost of any foe is always the most experienced and the most difficult to overcome. It drew breath and puffed itself up, and with the lightest touch of Father Maldreth's mighty chains, the foe burst into a trillion tiny grains of sand. The demon cloud then coasted up the chain, warping and wrapping itself around Maldreth's desiccated arm. Ugh, this is disgusting. I don't need anything touching me quite this much. With a thunderous grunt, Maldreth heaved his sword arm upwards, lifting the two solid state demons from the ground. He then hurled them backwards to crash against a shattered relief on the far wall. Okay, Theran, if you're done with the note-taking, maybe you can get yourself a little closer to these stairs, especially since I'm going to cut the enemy off from pursuing us with a heightened, empowered, enlarged wind wall! Dorea, get over here! Quit playing with that demon and come protect me from this demon! Right away, Lord Thrimlock. Just let me apply logic to the demon's face. Hiya! Come, spirit of the swift wind! Let us withdraw to the stairs! Excellent! And Sonome, I have a quest for you! Yes, Master? You take Floramar and this moldy potato that I still have as a second familiar for some reason and go upstairs. Protect them with your own life. That way I can run reconnaissance and we won't sacrifice anybody we don't want to get rid of anyway. Right away, Master. You got it, boss. Oh, and Loramar, one more thing. Yeah, boss. What you need? You're in charge of them. We all know that Sonome is useless, unless you count his skull as a useful place for me to stash my loot. Huh. I didn't know you played an instrument, Katharan. Not that kind of loot, Katharan. The pirate kind of loot. You know, booty. I keep my booty in Sonome's head. Well, the portal to the interdimensional chamber where I keep my booty, at least. Huh. I knew Thrimlock was a bit of a butthead, but I didn't know that Sir Nome was, too. Oh, that was an awful play on words, Lady Frotherfly. 
Oh gods, it was. I've been spending too much time with Romande. Isa, I'm glad you finally figured that out. Now everybody make a splotch. Why are those teams not backing themselves against Trimlock's meanwhile? I do not like the way they all seem to be looking upward. I think that, looking up at least, it's hard to tell behind that wall, even if it is only made of wind. Even with the main wall, it's getting pretty hot in here, guys. Plus, Thremie didn't cut all the demons off from the fight over there. We really need to go up a level, preferably before Froggle smells my wings starting to cook. Yeah. Ephraimotter is looking at me with that we-want-cookie kind of look. Just gotta leap over this 15-foot gap here. Steve is absolutely correct. And to aid in our task of not being cooked, I shall cast a mass expeditious retreat. Pardon me, Sergeant Demon, but I really must be going now. Romande blurs as he ducks under the Demon Spawn's attack and then streaks across the foyer and up the stairs. I never, ever want to hear about Romande streaking ever again. That being said, let's get out of here, Tuxie. Penguin slide! I'm still surrounded, Lady Featherslide. The demons won't let me through. Why? The enemies close in on Tuxedo B, ignoring the many razorfish sprouting from their legs. A particularly large demon lifts a halberd one-handedly high above its head, then brings it crashing down low toward the male werepenguin's tiny ankles. Walk off, Isa! Tuxedo Beak. Here, maybe this cone of cold will slow your enemies and put you into a more comfortable state. A frigid blast of wind bursts forth from the pixie's flapping wings, spreading over the entropic foes surrounding Tuxedo Beak. The entropy demons slow their blows to a crawling pace in reaction to the spell, allowing the penguin to stand up and defend himself more easily. The halberdier puts a second hand on his polearm and swings it in another wide arc. This one was far easier for Tuxedo Beak to sidestep. Oh, wow. Many thanks, kind Pixie. Don't mention it. Literally, don't. Just get your ass up the stairs. Another demon closes in on the bear, leaping upon him in a desperate and weaponless attempt to cause harm. Despite Brother Caltrop's many hours practicing wrestling, he cannot throw the demon away from him, and the foe sinks its putrid teeth into Smith's shoulder. Brother Caltrops, these demons attack our very wits. Are you currently unscathed in this manner? What salmon? Me eat fishes! Smith crashes through the line of foes, focusing on one who may very well have been a fishman before he became a demon. Entrails fly through the air, dissipating into dust before they hit the floor. This leaves the bear covered in a fine fishy dust. I guess that answers that. You, wife, go upstairs. Me come up after help save boy penguin. Me stay. Save penguin with husband. If husband die, me not want live. Baby too hard for raise by self. 
You know, since child-rearing is such a time-consuming endeavor, I could send the boy to the future and place a quest on someone to raise him for you. I promise I'll remember to go back and get him once he's old enough to be less of a handful. Hmm. Not sound so bad. What do you think, wife? What? You stupid. Me no send Pringle to future for be raised by some stranger. Especially not with no eyes held. Me not want this precious moment, like him first tusk come in. Yes, dear. Me no send baby to future. Me just save boy penguin and then head upstairs. There. Now boy penguin safe. Go upstairs and find you she penguin. That order. At once, King Groggle. I'm coming, Lady Featherfly. I agree with the pixie and the bard. Despite the obturative effects of my cube of force, it is growing rather hot in here. But Master Shenouda, Macaw has left us with foes that must be conquered on this level before we can ascend to the next. Have you forgotten the parable of the gauntlet? I have forgotten nothing, Father Malgrith. I was about to cast a pair of quickened and tombs upon them. Why do you have a spell that entombs things? Well, it's actually the reverse of a far more useful spell for a necromancer. I usually cast disentomb to quickly acquire material. Gross. Just stop talking about your hobbies and come on up these stairs. I suppose the penguin has a point. Makar always places the hardest challenges at the tops of towers. If we pass over the lesser challenges and still win against the master of this place, then we are victorious over the whole tower by the transitive property of murder. I'll just get rid of these impediments first. Maldreth twitches his weapon arm, and the triple chains lift their demonic payloads from the ground. At the top of their arc, Maldreth speaks the command word, Kogaidwa, and the chains retract into the fang of pain. Demons fly away and fall into the central well to be roasted in the fiery corona of a rising star. That was the last of them on this side of the wind wall, so now we can proceed upstairs unimpeded. Makar is only vaguely displeased with your progress. Just in case anything gets past the wind wall, I'll drop a prismatic wall at the bottom of the stairs. And I'll quicken a walking prismatic eye, since both Lorimar and my potato-lings see foes awaiting us on the next level. The prismatic eye sprouts into existence in the center of the upstairs landing, which is nearly identical to the previous one. The landscapes and the reliefs are different, but the greater architecture and design remain the same. Unfortunately, the hungering end already has its denizens crawling over this and the upper levels. Two of the demons are bathed in violet light from Frimlock's prismatic eye, but they are unaffected by the effects of magically induced insanity. Well, that didn't work. Torea, spirit of the swift wind, defend me! Right away, Lord Frimlock! And Sir Gnome! Yes, Master? Shut up, Sir Gnome! You're still useless! Yes, Master. Torea puts the spurs to spirit of the swift wind launching them across the gap between the stairs and the hungering end. 
At the end of his charge, the mighty celestial stallion rears up and smashes his front hooves into the skull of a demon who had once been a wolf woman. At the same moment, Torea's mace whirls in the air and plunges toward the chest of a dwarf demon, knocking it from its feet and hurling it a full 12 imperial linear decimal markers. The ground rumbles and cracks spiderweb across the flagstones as the floor bulges upward in seven distinct places. The dragoons that had been trapped behind Thrimlock's wind wall now burst through the floor with their rays of disintegration. As soon as the floors dissipate, the seven foes leap upward and level their fire belchers at the party. Anybody hit? No, but I'm still inside my cube, so not much will bother me. I don't think any of those guys actually took aim. I like honey and baked lizard and honey glazed baked lizard. Where'd that lizard lady go? Will somebody please restore his intelligence? I really don't want to be eaten on my first trip out of the arena of all crap. Just to be sure, I'm going to jump across that wide gap again to put as much distance between me and the bear as possible. You know, you're just slow roasting yourself as you keep jumping across the central exhaust vent of an artificial star, right? Hadn't thought about it that way. All I was thinking about was a sneak attack! Steve sails through the air, spearing both of the foe's trapezius muscles with her deadly knives. She then flicks her tail forward, carrying her the rest of the way over to land in a crouch with her back to a wounded foe. Meanwhile, I brandished the Toppler, my potato-soled Vorpal Scimitar, crafted by the hand of none other than Mayase, the mother of weapons. I snacked and snicked at the demon before me. Romande, how could you miss when you're that close? Ah, but I only missed if you think that I intended to do damage. After all, I wield the Toppler. Romande's opponent slowly slides off of his shins, collapsing in a heap beside a pair of still-standing feet. The island soldier immediately rolls over and begins affixing his lower legs to his knees. But that gives me just the opportunity to leap over him and run to the next staircase. Especially with my mass expeditious retreat still in effect. I shall meet you all upstairs! This is still taking far too long. My flock isn't properly attuned to cause these creatures lasting damage, and we still have an unknowable number of floors to climb before we reach the Scotellian Gate. Well, Father Maldreth, why don't you do something about it, instead of just whinging on and on about how useless our arrow fodder our companions can be? Do not tempt me, Imanand. It is my place neither to start nor to end wars, only to elevate them where they already exist. Makar has given me a grand role to play, and in return I must serve his will. So I shall not aid my companions in their foolishly chosen war. This battle is nothing in the grand scheme of time and reality. The plains offer a plethora of far more interesting places I could be terrorizing with far more interesting companions than I have here. In this place, with this band of insufferable bastards. Ugh, but such is the life of a pastor. I must save my flock that they may take me to better battles. 
By the power of Makar's brain-encrusted shield rim, shall you pass through a corridor of blades. Hundreds of thousands of shards of razor-sharp metal pop into existence, each fluttering in the air and spinning with a dangerous intent. Maldreth flexes his will, and the blades stretch out to form a low hallway, carving a direct route to the staircase. It extends a lot farther than that. Makar has seen fit to provide us with the most direct route to the most interesting battle that this tower has to offer. He must have tired of these preliminary challenges as much as I have. In any case, the demons of the Hungering End hurled themselves at the blade barrier, but none passed through in any shape to harm you. Their assorted bits and pieces all slough away to regather and reform outside the barrier for repeated attempts. This barrier won't hold for long, and I don't want any dawdling, so I'm capping off this end and making it chase us. Anybody who falls behind gets minced. You climb a great number of levels in the Tower of the Sun, with the foe constantly trying and failing to pass through Maldred's blade. After some uncountable amount of non-time, since this is the astral plane, time isn't clearly linear, the howling of the hungering end ceases. Shortly afterward, you all emerge from the hallway of spinning metal into a foyer of pink marble, where a radiant, silver-blue dragon blocks your path. He drones a spell in the celestial tongue, and the air grows a little more damp and a little more cool. Behind the dragon, a hallway stretches out, carving deep into the tower. <laughs> For the past, I don't know how time works on the astral plane long, Father Maldreth has been chasing me with a trillion low-hanging spinning blades, each of which would have ruined my haircut. If that did not stop me, then no dragon, no matter how celestial or radiant, shall further stall the progress of the unimpedable Romande Swarfinde. The vorpal enchantment on Romande's sword flares to life and a dull brown aura envelops the ball. The elf strides right up to the dragon's reclining chest and flicks his arm. Aethersidrine looks very startled as the elf moves with much more strength and speed than he ought. And before everybody's eyes, Romande has unimpeachably, single-handedly, killed an elder radiant dragon from the Plane of Good. Well, it's not likely that we were going to make friends with him anyway. Oh, wait a minute. What's all this black goo that's coming out of its neck? Romande, the one time you've done something right, I think you managed to screw it up beyond anyone's wildest fears. 
Indeed he has. Now that Aether Sidreen has suddenly died, the infection of the Hungering End is flaring to unlife within his corpse. The neck spasms and flails wildly until it makes contact with the head. As the tendons, muscles, and scales begin to knit together, the dragon's eyes swell with buboes, which pop and spill their vitreous and aqueous pus all over his radiant, silver-blue scales. I think it's time to go with Romande's plan from the courtyard. That was so long ago that I can barely remember how our fight with the Red Hands ended. All I know is that I am quite tired of being chased around this non-plane of dreamlike and metaphorical realities. Let's see. I think I can make the decipher script check necessary to read Romande's terribly scrawled notes. And I'm technically a doctor. Here it is. The vampire broke that amulet of second chances, and just as the band was getting ready to attack us, Catheran here yelled, Quick! Before the dragon finishes reforming, get through the gates and lock them behind us! No, I'm pretty sure there was something about a speech in the original delivery, but the bard speaks more sense than usual. Through the gate! And with that, I guess it's safe for you to rest again? Visit the 20-Sided Theater online at 20sidedtheater.com and follow us through scryomagical links that Master Shenouda and Thrimlock have established. You can follow Romande at Illustrious Row, Master Shenouda at Shenouda Necroco, Thrimlock at Thrimlock, and Issa Featherfoot at Lady Featherfoot. The 20-Sided Theater is a joint production of Bear Industries and the Shenouda Necromancy Corporation. This episode stars Gabriel Abenante, Natalie Abenante, Blake Parker, Keridwin Quatrin, Kian Quatrin, and Rory Quatrin. With special thanks to Jonathan Abenante, Sierra Sirimeli Lowe, and Michael Solso for the use of their player characters. Written by Rory Quatrin and edited by Blake Parker. Music by... Bart Spawns, Digitex, Fire Rage, Miguel Angel Aldunce, Patashu, Rogue Buffalo, Sean Daly, Stephen O'Brien, and VCMG. Tell your friends about the 20-sided theater and rate us on iTunes or Thrimlock will send Torea and Spirit of the Swift Wind to introduce you to logic. For a complete list of and links to all the music and sound effects you heard on tonight's episode, visit the show notes at 20sidedtheater.com. Join us next time at the 20-Sided Theater. Ha 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 ha. Man, that was some weird shark. Before we went through all of this. You know, when we fought the Red Hands minstrel assassins again. Just before getting into this tower. What, the constantly shifting reality scape? 
or the alien vampire's magical locket that wound back our combat what felt way longer than the 18 seconds my hourglass says we covered? Neither of those. Did you see Romande and his sister standing next to each other? I don't have any eyes, Penguin. But yes, I was able to perceive them. I'm pretty sure the only differences between them were their haircuts and the fact that Romande's breasts were ever so slightly larger than Isriana's. Don't be a racist, Penguin. Not all elves look alike. We're not dwarves, after all. I wasn't talking about all elves. I was talking about that one particular elf and his twin sister. I mean, if you put some sort of hair-enveloping hat on both of them, I don't think you could tell them apart. I overheard your conversation, Lady Featherfoot, and this confirms one of my hypotheses. Oh, great. Romande has finished whatever he was doing instead of setting up the tent. And he's got delusions of science. <laughs> we all know nobody sets up the camp at this party. I just summon a magical door to one of the many rooms in my arcane mansion! So, Catheran, what's the theory you've confirmed? Penguins are most definitely colorblind. Otherwise, Issa would have been able to discern the tiny differences in the coloration of our highlights. My glorious hair tends toward the orangey-yellow end of the color spectrum, while Isriana's ill-kempt quaff tends toward the yellowy-orange end. I already said your hair was different. <sighs> Gods, I hate You know, some people's, they says, Zolov, you know, I plays the sitar. It's, it's pretty easy, you know, everybody says they has to teach themselves because there's no written musics or somethings for it. It makes no sense. I mean, it takes one, it takes like 10 hours to tunes because you have like 60 to 112 strings on the sitar. And people think, oh, you just place the four ones on the tops. But no, many layers of strings is very difficult. Especially when it's uh, celestial sitars, so it burns your hands when you place it. It's very difficult. Also, my hands on fires now. But that's pretty cool, pretty metal since the concerts, you know. But I mean, I has to get... Special fires, retards against glove, to make sure uh, reds one stays reds and not charcoals. Although that's pretty metals. <laughs> Rubs it on your face, you know. 